There's a story, and I'm going to share it with you a little bit later in the message for today about how God gets off the throne. He jumps off the throne and runs after us. So he is a God who sits on the throne, but he's also a God who jumps off the throne for the sake of coming after us to throw his arms around us and and kiss us, kiss us all over. So anyway, good morning. My name is Jerry Scazzaro, and for those of you that don't know me, I'm um, part of the teaching team here at New Life Fellowship Church. Thank you. And um, we recognize this U.S. holiday of Mother's Day. We also recognize it's really a day of diverse emotion um, for each of us. And we rejoice with those of you who are rejoicing because you have really fond memories of your mom. Or maybe you have had a long answer prayer to becoming a mother. You're just really enjoying a season of motherhood. Or for whatever reason, you're rejoicing in the idea of motherhood. Then there are others of us that it's a day of sorrow. You know, we think about our, our mothers um, and our childhood. There's really difficult memories. Um, or maybe we uh, have lost a mother this past year. And we're experiencing that loss a little more profoundly today. Others of us long to be mothers and are not. Some of us are mothers and find it very difficult and painful. So our hearts are with you, too, in your pain and in your sorrow. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we have pain with those who have pain. But it is a day for women. If you have said yes to Jesus and you are a woman, then you are called automatically to motherhood, to spiritual motherhood. Because as a follower of Christ, we're called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and bear fruit in the world. And so today, uh, here this morning at New Life Fellowship, we want to celebrate womanhood. We want to celebrate the identity and the um, dignity specifically of woman. You know, it's interesting, when uh, God created humanity, I don't know why he made this decision, but he did. Well, like, actually, we do have some insight into why he did. Why he created male and female. He established that for always and only, human race would exist as male and female. Now, he could have made four genders, five genders, six He could have made as many genders as he wanted to. But for specific reasons, and that male and female, and the complementarity, actually, of male and female would actually point to him. But we only exist as male and female. And we're going to celebrate the genius of woman this morning. And... Um, let me also preface my uh, thoughts by saying everything I say this morning applies to men. Everything. Okay? 
So uh, before we go on, though, I just want to mention that I don't know how many of you know, but history was made just a couple weeks ago on April 20th. Very significant. A young woman, five foot two, a hundred pounds, by the name of Danica Patrick, for the first time in race car history, won on the Indy circuit. Uh, to appreciate, to appreciate that, you have to understand that just in the 70s, how many of you were alive in the 70s? In the early 70s? Okay. In your lifetime, in your lifetime, there were still huge barriers for women. In the, in the early 70s, women were not allowed in the press box, the garage area, or the pits. A woman might be a reporter, a photographer, a timer, a scorer. She might even own the race car but she couldn't get near it at any time for any reason. A woman on the track itself was unthinkable. Two weeks ago, a woman won the Indy. It is, it's, it's really huge. And the reason I say that is not because I would dream of my son or daughter uh, driving in the Indy, <laughs> but... It's really an encouragement and a celebration for all of us that want to cross barriers. There are still barriers to be crossed, and they're able to be crossed. And so we salute Danica and how she paved the way. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the identity of woman. And knowing who you are and knowing your identity uh, will determine your life. Your life depends on knowing who you are. And uh, a few years ago, for the first time, I had heard the word sustainable. And someone had been talking to me about it. We were in a conversation, actually discussing a garden. And the idea of sustainable garden came up. And it really intrigued me. And I've said, of course I want a sustainable garden. You know, I want something that's going to last for the long term. And so if you're going to have a sustainable garden, you have to, first of all, uh, know the geography of where you live. You know, we live in the Northeast. I have to know the soil, the quality of my soil. I have to know what plants can grow in that soil and how they grow. There's a lot of factors that have to come together to create a sustainable garden. And as you know today, uh, there's a lot of um, conversation around the world as becoming a sustainable environment. That is one in which that we're not using or abusing all the resources today, but that we're using the resources today in a way that future generations long-term can enjoy them as well. And I don't, you know, claim to know a whole lot about sustainable environments, but... I do know that uh, you need to, we need to take into consideration to make the world sustainable and quality for, junior, for future generations, we have to take into consideration the social aspect of the world and the environment of the world and the economy of the world. And all these things are being thought about in very critical ways to keep our world sustainable, quality, long-term. And I love what Wendell Berry says. He's an author, a poet, and maybe most importantly, he's a farmer from Kentucky. 
And he says, there are two spiritual dangers in not owning a farm. One is the danger of supposing that breakfast comes from the grocery. And the other, that heat comes from the furnace. You know, the danger in thinking that your breakfast came from the grocery store, if you really believe that, then you might not care about caring for the earth. And if we don't care for the earth, we're in big trouble because the earth takes care of us. And so knowing where your food comes from and not having the illusion that it just comes from the grocery store is a matter of life and death for you and me. In the same way, we need to understand and not have illusions about certain truths of your identity and where you came from. And I am telling you this morning, your life literally depends on it. And certainly the quality of your life depends on it. We need to understand that our core identity, in order for us to have a sustainable, long-term, quality relationship in God, in loving God, in loving myself, and loving others, I have got to be anchored in these truths, these identities. I need to be anchored in the truth that I know I'm a daughter of God and that I am the bride of Christ and that I am a sister and that I am a mother. This morning, I'm going to unpack for us daughter, first a daughter. That's the first core identity you've got to understand to have sustainable relationship with God and others and yourself and then bride. I don't have time to go into sister and mother, but let me just say this about sister. Before Adam and Eve were husband and wife, they were brother and sister. They existed first and foremost as brother and sister. When Adam saw Eve, he said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he recognized that she was the same as him. She wasn't just matter. She was matter and spirit. She was a person with personhood, with dignity, because she was loved by God and had the image of God in her. She was exactly like him in dignity. And so he could look at her and he could... Uh, pierce her heart and soul and, and look at her with the interior gaze of God. Do you know what the interior gaze of God is? It's to see that person in all their dignity, as lovable, as one made in the image of God. He looked at her holistically. His eye didn't just go to certain parts of her body. I'm serious. He looked at her holistically with the interior gaze of God. Before Pete and I are husband and wife, we are brother and sister. We exist first and foremost to look at one another with the interior gaze of God, to see each other as God sees us. Now, I don't know if you grew up with biological sisters, but look around the room. You have sisters 
You are in the body of Christ. You have sisters. The women in this room are first your sisters. And may we look at each other first and foremost, holistically, with the interior gaze of God. And then mother. As I mentioned earlier, if you have said yes to God as a woman, you are automatically called to motherhood and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and bear fruit for God. Uh, and we, f- we fill that Genesis 128 command to be fruitful and multiply. So here's my quote. There is great spiritual danger in thinking that you only come from your mommy's tummy. There is great spiritual danger in deriving your identity only from the earthly and biological voices. What makes you lovable, valuable, worthwhile has to come first, foremost, and always from God. So I'd like to do is go on and begin to unpack what does it mean that my core identity is a daughter? It means that you are so loved. You are so loved. There is nothing left for you to prove. And Genesis uh, 1, if you'd like to turn there, I'm going to be in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 briefly. But that's where it all began. Genesis 1, 26 says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And then 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That the Trinity, the us in heaven, is the Trinity existing in a communion of persons, existing in eternal love, sharing love with one another. And they had so much love. They created, created humanity, male and female, for that overflowing love to go. For that love to be deposited into humanity. And then we have in John, okay, Jesus talked about his purpose in coming was that we might know the original purpose of God creating us to know we are loved. In 17, John chapter 17, Jesus says, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and that I have loved them even as you loved me. And then John 15, 9. Oh, thank you. And then John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. A lot of us 
can get our brains around the fact that God the Father loved his son incredibly. Somehow I can, I can get that. But I think what we fail to get and have a hard time internalizing is that in the same way that God the Father loved Jesus is exactly according to John and according to the reason that Jesus came was that we would know he loves us exactly the same. There is no difference in the way God the Father loves Jesus and in the way he loves you and me. That is absolutely incredible. So here's the point. Two. You were conceived in love, for love, by love, through love. Regardless of the circumstances of your earthly biological conception and childhood, you were loved first by God and always. The proof of which is your existence. Pinch yourself. The fact that you are alive means that you are loved, which means you are lovable. The question is, what are you going to do about it? I don't really believe you believe that. A few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a young man. And in the conversation, there was a sense of frustration in his being. And the frustration was that he didn't feel and think that he got to live his life. There was the sense that I have to do what other people want me to do. I have to make other people happy. Or I'll end up alone and lonely. And then he said these words to me. All I want is just to be loved. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and right through me to him said, you are already loved and lovable, but you're not walking it out for yourself. You are looking for others to do what God intended for you to do for yourself. Our sense of okayness and lovability does not come from other people. It comes from the fact, the very, very simple fact that I exist and therefore I am lovable and that can never change or be undone. The question is, how are you going to walk out your lovability? By giving yourself permission to like what you like.
Want what you want. Do what you want to do. Now, that's not a license for sin. It's not a license for narcissism, hedonism, or self-centeredness. Because if you truly get the words, you are loved by the sheer fact of your existence, because God existed you to give you your love for you to be lovable. If you truly get that and embrace your dignity and the dignity of that, you would never want to violate yourself or anyone else. These words from Henry Nouwen, may they speak to you. When we don't claim God's first love for us and our original goodness, we lose touch with our true self, and it sends us on dangerous searches to find it elsewhere. The story of creation is a story that existed before any rejection was possible, and that was, will still be there after all the rejections take place. It is the first and everlasting love of God, who is a father and a mother. The problem is that even though we've heard the voice that God loves us, two things. One, I don't believe we internalize it and treat ourselves delightfully how God delights in us. But secondly, we somehow have turned the volume down on that voice and that truth, really where our core identity is supposed to be. And we've got the volume way up on the other voices in our life. The voices from our parents. The voices from our employers. The voices from teachers or employees or our culture. All parents are flawed, even the parents in the best Christian home. And so our core identity must come from how God thinks and feels about you, regardless of what any other voice you hear. There have been voices that said, think and feel like me, or get your approval from me. Or, don't have feelings, don't have fun, don't have your own life, don't fail, don't be angry, don't disappoint people. But those are not your core identity. Your core identity is that you are so profoundly loved, the proof of which is that you're, you exist, there is nothing left to prove? Can you get your brain and heart around that? Because we've had that volume of the negative voices turned up so high and living like we have something to prove, I love this story from Luke 15. A picture's worth a thousand words, and this story is worth a thousand words. Because as daughters, to understand about being a daughter, I really got to look at my father. And in this 
story, we get the picture of our Heavenly Father. God made us. The fact that we exist, He loves us. He says they're not getting it. So He sends us His Son. And Jesus tells the story about what God is like as a father. And you're probably familiar with the story, but it's the story of a father with a couple of sons, and one of the sons is fed up. Basically, he hates his home, he hates his family, he hates his father, he hates what they stand for, and says, I'm out of here. I wish you were dead, but since you're not, give me my inheritance anyway. I don't want to wait until you die. The son gets the money, the father gives it to him, and off he goes. The son proceeds to squander the money on wine and women. But in the process, besides getting broke financially, gets broken in his heart, wants to come home and thinks, you know what? Maybe my father will accept me back. I've been a fool. Maybe he'll let me even come and be one of his hired hands. But I want to focus on the father for a few moments. Imagine what that father had to go through. Anybody who's experienced any kind of hate, betrayal, um, on any level can relate to the pain of what that father had to go to. That father had to die a thousand deaths to get to a point where he is so emptied. He is so emptied that he no longer has any false self expectations or illusions of what it means to love. He dies to power. He dies to success. He dies to what other people are thinking about him as a parent. He dies to his dreams, his own dreams, his dreams and expectations of that son. He's emptied out by his suffering. But once he's been really emptied out through these sufferings, he is now free to truly give love to this son with no strings attached. I love what Henry Nouwen calls it. He calls it the poverty of non-demanding love. At the end of the story, Jesus says, oh, I've got to mention this part. This is my favorite part in the story. This is where my image from the throne comes. The son is now making his way back a mess to the father. I know this father has gone through such incredible transformation And I know he had to die a lot of deaths to get to the transformation of what he's about to do. This son has so hurt him, but he's had to take a long, hard look at himself. And he's now become a new man. In the distance, he sees that son. Do you know what he does? He doesn't wait for the son to reach the house. He goes running out of the house, down the road, and as I understand it, in that culture, he, was, he made a fool of himself. He had to draw up his, his robes in a way that really exposed himself in that culture, which would be shame. But he didn't give 
two cents. Thank you, Lord, for those words. Because he knew love and was going to give love. And it's God, God getting off the throne. God gets off the throne, literally jumps off the throne and starts running after you and me, takes you in our arms. And he's going, God says, all right, it's not enough that I, I created you. It's not enough that you exist to know that I love you. All right, I'll die a thousand deaths. I'll die a thousand deaths to prove I love you. And he did when he sent his son and watched his son die. He died a thousand deaths to prove his love for us. This is what your father is like. Are you experiencing your life like this? Of being loved that much, are you? Is God's unconditional love allowing you to live a life where there's nothing left to prove? To know that to know to know that you are loved. Or are you struggling with your identity and self-esteem? One of the ways that this works out in my life, knowing that I'm loved, and that nothing can change that. When I have to go into like a difficult meeting or a difficult conversation, or maybe I have to speak some things that are difficult, or worse yet, I have to listen to some things that are difficult about myself, I can say before that meeting, Jerry, you're loved. Nobody can take that from you. Jerry, you don't have anything to prove. You're loved. You see, and so I don't have to borrow my goodness and my lovability from that person or from you. I don't have to demonize you and make you bad so that I can feel good about myself. I don't have to borrow my goodness and lovability from anybody because I'm already loved. I don't want to be there yet. So, yes, you came from your mommy's tummy. But if you only think or remember or live like you came from your mommy's tummy and have the volume turned up on those voices, then you are going to have as short-sightedness as those of us who think our food came from the grocery store. Your identity and quality of life depends on knowing that you are first and foremost a daughter of God, profoundly loved. There's nothing left to prove. Remember, you were conceived in love and for love from a parent in heaven. You are already loved. Nothing can change that. Remember this, when you think you don't have permission to be yourself, 
Remember this, when you're with people or situations that bring out the worst in you and you think you have to prove something to them. Remember this, when you're tempted to be okay with yourself only when other people are okay with you. You don't have to borrow your goodness or lovability from anybody else by making yourself superior or inferior. You are loved and there's nothing left to prove. But secondly, you're a bride. And this is wonderful news too about the love of God. Like any good husband, God does not force, whoops, God does not force himself on his bride. He says, will you receive my love? Remember Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, we're in Ephesians 5 a couple weeks ago, says, a man shall leave his mother and father and the two shall become one, one flesh. But what I'm really talking about is Christ and the church, Paul said, that Christ and God had a plan from all eternity to marry you. Both male and female are the bride of Christ. Humanity is the bride of Christ. But woman is the model for every human being of what it means to be a bride. Let me explain. Women literally have an empty space in them, right? Physically, anatomically, we all have a space in us. We have a womb. And there is a complementarity of male and female that images the love of God through the union of a husband and a wife. And so a wife has an empty space where a husband comes with love and life is then brought forth, okay? So literally, women have an empty space for life and love. But also, figuratively, our bodies, as we spoke a few months ago during our messages on sexuality, our bodies, male and female, have their own language pointing us to heaven and the purpose of our lives. Women represent for humanity the importance and the significance of being receivers of the love of God. In the same way that a woman has an empty space anatomically in her, we as human beings are structured to receive God's love. As Augustine said, you have made for us, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. So woman, when you look at woman and the genius of woman, we represent for all humanity 
the receptivity of God's love, which is so devastatingly sad when you think about the fact that in our culture today, women's bodies are used to sell products and manipulate minds and hearts and all other sorts of false glorification. When in reality, God created our bodies to send a message to the world, to be a visible sign that it's important to be receivers of God's love. In the equation of love, of God's love, there's two truths you have to remember. One is that know that love is initiated. Okay? You have to know this about love, that it has been initiated. And we just talked about that as being daughters. All that God has gone through to initiate and show us that he loves us and we're lovable. So that's one part of the equation of love. Know it has been given. But the second part of the equation is you have to know it has to be received. It's not automatic. God will never force himself on us. If either part of these equations break down, then we cannot experience God's love. There are people who don't know God's love has been initiated. And there are those of us who maybe know God's love has been initiated, but we don't receive it. So let me share two stories about two different brides, women who represented receptivity. The first story is about Eve, found in Genesis 3 through 6. And you're probably very familiar with that story where she and Adam are in the garden, this wonderful garden. They have at their fingertips really everything they need. For some reason, God has put some loving boundaries for their well-being around them and said, just don't eat from this tree. And an angel of darkness, masqueraded as an angel of light, comes to her. And he says to her, he starts putting doubt in her mind and says, do you really think God wants you to be happy? Do you think he really loves you? Do you really think he wants to give himself to you? Maybe he's trying to keep you from a great life. And he puts these doubts in her mind. The fundamental question is this. Is God love or is he not? Will he crush you and take away your happiness? Leighton Ford tells the story of when his 20-year-old son died on the operating table. And he and his wife had to drive home that night. It was the longest night of their life, the longest drive of their life. And they were driving home, and his wife, with a long and distraught face, said, either there is a God and he is good, or there is not a God at all. It is just as stark a choice as that. But Eve did not hold on to God's trustworthiness and his love and ended up having then to grasp for it. But there's a story of another woman, another bride, Mary, in Luke 1.38, an angel of light 
comes to her and says, invites her to receive God's love and life literally into her. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary literally receives God's eternal love in her womb and brings it into the world in spite of, and I'm sure she knew, how much hardship, pain, and suffering was going to be attached to it. But she said yes to God's love. It's amazing. Those two stories, those two women's no, one woman's no, and one woman's yes, and the impact on all the world for generations. Motherhood, as we know, is both biological and spiritual. Our core identity as women, as those who say yes to God, who will receive his love, is the struggle for every human being. And that struggle is the fundamental question of, am I going to say yes or no? to God. You believe this? The gift of our femininity is to bear witness to being receivers, to saying yes to God's love like Mary did and share that with the world. Pretty amazing when you think about the genius of woman that we represent a willingness to be receivers of God's love and life, to say yes to him regardless of the circumstances, that we will believe in his trustworthiness even when it feels like everything around us is falling apart. And so let me end with these two thoughts. Daughter, you are so profoundly loved, there is nothing left to prove. But my question is, where are you drawing the majority of your identity and your self-esteem from? Are you drawing it from mothering or not being a mother? From being a wife or not being a wife? from being a widow, or maybe the devastation and wrenchedness of what divorce can do to an identity, or maybe you've been a victim of abuse, and that's where your identity is. But I want to encourage you this morning, your foundational identity is first and foremost daughter of God, profoundly loved. Now, what are you going to do about it? How will you love yourself?
And secondly, bride. The question is, will you receive God's love? Will you trust him? You were created, woman, with an empty space to receive the love of God. Actually, all of us in here are the bride of Christ. All of us are created to receive God's love. Will you receive it? Even when there's doubt to receive, to, when, even when there is doubt that God is love and trustworthy. When mental health issues hit, when physical health issues come, when there are financial concerns or concerns and issues of employment, children, other losses, we must keep our identity rooted in one who trusts God. That's who a bride is. One who trusts God. Remember this, faith is not doing. It is like Mary saying, let it be done unto me and receive the love of God. So remember, anchor yourself and your identity in first a daughter and then a bride. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask that you make your love real to each and every person in this room. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us. May we be attentive and present. You have created within each one of us a space, a God-given space to know you, to love you, to receive you. May we taste and see that the Lord is good. We don't have to borrow our goodness from anyone else, Lord. We're always going to be lovable. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's all stand, everyone. We're going to sing this great song. I can put the words up. It's called Amazed. And it's an opportunity to really... Really, this message was one to be experienced, not simply heard intellectually. And so you may just, you may just want to listen to the words as we sing them initially, and, uh, but then let's join in and sing them back to God and allow these truths to sink into our hearts. I mean, it is beautiful that all of us, male and female, are the bride of Christ when we come to Jesus Christ. And we have an empty space to receive his love so that we might bear fruit so that we might bear life for other people and be a gift but i'm very aware of all those voices that come at me and come at us that pummel us day and night that you're no good bum and if you surrender yourself more fully to god i'll wreck your life you'll be a loser you'll be infertile you'll be miserable you'll be all those accusations and voices that come and today god is speaking to us about his eternal love from the foundations of the earth for each one of us, as daughters and sons and as bride. 
So I want to invite you to come forward. Those of you who know who you are, just your identity is just cracked, distorted, twisted. And you're on this crossroads of saying yes to God for the next phase of what God has for you. And there is such a struggle internally to choose the path of Eve, which chose another way, rather than trust the love of God and his goodness to go and try to do it on your own. So I want to close here and, and just... I want to invite you to come for prayer, for healing, for deliverance, for chains getting cut off you. For f- Today's about freedom of a core identity. that We're actually free not to have to borrow love from other people. We can actually freely give them love because you don't need them to tell us we're okay. Friends, that's freedom. And God's brought you here to set you free and set me free. So the altar's going to be open over here. I want to invite you to come for prayer. And uh, that's what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ in the new family. We stand with each other in that journey called following Christ. It's a lovely reality. So I'm going to pray and and, uh, then we'll close. All right. So just bow with me for a moment. Just open up your hearts and move your palms up towards heaven. So I speak a blessing over all of you in this room in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the name of our great God who came to earth in a person of Jesus to die for you, that you might be able to receive his arms wrapped around you right now and his kisses on your forehead and his embrace and new clothing. May God's face shine on you. May your face be up towards him. May your spirit be enlarged to receive his love today. May you in that empty space receive all of God and may a miraculous life come forth from you just like it came out of Mary's womb in Luke chapter 1. And may your very life be a miracle. May you walk out of here not needing to borrow or get love from anybody else because you've gotten it from God in your core, core of who you are. And may you be a gift to those around you through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, move in power in this ministry prayer time we have up here. Draw people to yourself, Lord, for the first time, the 15th time, those who have wandered from you, Lord. Set your people free, we pray, that we truly might know our core identity, not simply in our heads, but in the depths of our being. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. The Lord bless you.